the message is called, and you would have seen it up somewhere big to read, Praying for Conviction. Uh, we put out a prayer card for our prayer and fasting time, very simple, and the three things that we were inviting the entire church to be focusing on during these two weeks, as well as whatever God was calling you to be praying for, was uh, number one, that the church would overflow flow more and more with Christ-like love in the midst of these times and forevermore. Uh, learning to love in Christ isn't a sprint, it's a lifelong marathon that we're only meant to stop growing in uh, when... Well, our friends and family gather around us to share their appreciation for our life. Number two, that our city would experience a real prayer revival. So thinking beyond ourselves to our our entire city, that we would all be growing in believing prayer, genuine prayer. And three, that we would be praying for the conviction of God to come over our country, both for unbelievers and for believers. And so this message is about that third point, praying for conviction. And if by the time I'm done, you have increased faith to pray that the Holy Spirit would convict people to Christ, both believers and unbelievers, then I've done my job well. This is what I'm hoping to do today. So why don't you read with me? I'm going to be in my Bible a bit more. I don't have any slides to lean on. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. And the context here is that Jesus, this is this long teaching that Jesus gives his disciples the night before he's, or the night of his arrest, before he's going to be tried, wrongfully convicted, and crucified, and then raised from the dead. And this is his long speech to them, or series of talks to them, as he's preparing them for his departure and for life post uh, Jesus in the flesh as their Lord and Savior. Instead, he's moving to reign of christ version 2.0 which is the reign through the holy spirit after his after the day of pentecost and so this is what he says about the holy spirit coming he says nevertheless i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if you do for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and he will come and when he comes excuse me he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment All right, let's pray. Father, we just come to you with so much need. I come to you with so much need. And Lord, what great hope we have that you have decided to be our everlasting and overflowing and never-ending source of every kind of help in this life and in eternity. So Lord, I pray that you would give every single person, myself and everybody who's listening, what is good, and pleasing in your sight today. And Lord, my desire is that our confidence in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would grow and grow and grow to see your, your mission accomplished in our days. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Wonderful. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. One of my first memories of the conviction of the Holy Spirit happened about six months before I got saved. I was in my first year of university. I'd moved away from school. And there was this young lady whose window kind of looked into my room's window across the way. And she seemed to me to be someone maybe worth getting to know a little bit better. Um, But I was super shy. And she had a boyfriend. 
And so I remember catching myself one time kind of fantasizing, daydreaming about her boyfriend being a real jerk to her and just like being mean and maybe like grabbing her arm in a way. And then I would stumble across this. And I think he was a soccer player or something. So I imagine that I know you're laughing. I'm really trying to tell this story, story seriously. Um, I rem- imagined like kicking a soccer ball into his face and then doing a roundhouse kick because I was really interested in martial arts at the time and just taking him out. And then, of course, she would think that I was some interesting person to get to know as well. And while I was thinking about this stuff, and this was over days because, of course, I was shy and whatever, um, it just dawned on me that I was hoping that someone would be mistreated for my own personal advantage. Right? That's the storyline. Boy, I hope she gets mistreated so I could swoop in there and be the hero. And it dawned on me that I was wishing for something bad to happen to somebody who I wanted to get to know so that I could come across as being someone who I wasn't. And though I didn't know it at the time, I think that what was happening was the Holy Spirit was revealing to me that I could wish ill on someone selfishly. And I had never quite seen it in such a way that helped me see there was something seriously wrong with my heart. Like what kind of person would wish that? And, you know, I had done things that were wrong. I had a fairly active conscience. I knew that things I could do things wrong, but usually what I would just try to do was hide it. You know what I mean? Like hide it from people, uh, you know, uh, or hide it from myself through distraction. You know, anytime I felt like I'd done something wrong, there was always video games right there to just dive into. There was always another round of Street Fighter II Turbo Edition that I could try to beat all the way through without losing one round. You know, there was always a distraction to try to hide from myself that my heart liked bad things sometimes, wanted bad things sometimes. And so this was the time I remember most in my young adult life where I was face to face with the fact that my heart wanted wrong, but I didn't know what to do about it. And so it started a bit of a spiritual quest where I was asking friends about different religions. Like I said, I was into martial arts, so I was really into Eastern religions. And the more I, I researched the specific one that I was into, the more I was disappointed to find out that they didn't really have a strong sense of right and wrong. They were pantheistic, and so they said, ultimately, everything's a part of everything, and so everything's a part of God. You're a part of God. Um, the stars are parts of God. Your chair is parts of God. So doing right is part of God, but also doing wrong is part of God, and everything's connected. This was their ultimate worldview. And so I was just so disappointed by that. So I started to give a little bit of ear to some of my Christian friends to let them talk to me about what they thought because I felt like deep down there was something very wrong with me that needed something. And I wasn't a good a good uh, receiver ultimately of what they were trying to share. I was quite defensive sometimes and I was quite evasive and they had kind of given up hope on me. They told me later that they had just, after trying for a few months to turn me to Christ, <laughs> they like, ugh, they gave up. But they gave me a book. I've shared this before, but it's so good. They gave me Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he described how Christ can give people new hearts. That he is the one, the one God who is so holy to never lie to you about how bad your heart is, 
and the one that is so gracious that he wants to give you his own perfect heart. And through the Holy Spirit to transform your heart to be like his heart more and more until he returns and gives you a new body and the process is complete so that you, while still remaining your true self, will become the holiest you you've never known that you could be and never will know in this life. And so that was the hope. But I, I just remember, and, and it's, I don't remember many times, but I just remember that experience of coming under conviction. And if I never came under that conviction, I would have never become a Christian. And so I get when Jesus is talking in this passage, he says to, to Christians, his disciples, his apostles, the guys who are going to be leading the charge after Jesus is raised from the dead and who are going to be writing some scripture. And he says to them, guys, it is so much better that I'm leaving. Because when I go, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be his mission to do that impossible thing where people will actually be convinced of the truth that you could never do just with your words. That the Spirit himself will convict you that there's something wrong with you so that you want what Jesus has to offer. Amen. So why do I, I feel like we as Christians can really embrace this, this nonstop prayer that people will be convicted by the Holy Spirit? Well, here's a few thoughts. Nowadays, there are so many people talking, you know, with social media, the hope of, of apps like Facebook and Twitter and all the other ones I can't even name, the hope was that, man, with all this social media, all of us will have the opportunity to raise our voice and speak about things and share what's going on. You know, um, what my dinner looks like when I make dinner, I know it's, it's something that Aaron's been really just feeling the, va- the void of knowing what I'm having for lunch. You know, each day she felt very rejected, and I'm going to come and meet that need through posting. But there's, we are exposed to so many words and so many voices. And the hope was that, you know, we'll save the world by having all of us able to say what we're feeling all the time or say what we're thinking all the time. But part of what's happened is that we've gotten, like, opinion inflation. Do you know how inflation works? It's just like, it's this idea that the more money is, is running around in, an, in a country, people don't become richer. Our dollars just become worth less. And there's this real concern nowadays where the government, like, just, I don't know, doubled the amount of dollars that were running around with this curb stuff, that what didn't happen was that all of us became richer. What actually happened was that all of us have our dollars worth half as much as that used to be. And that really happens. But I don't know if that's going to happen. That's the concern. It's like if you take a pie and you cut it into eight pieces, that's great. But if you cut it into 1,800 pieces, you don't have more pie. You just have smaller slices. And I think that part of what's happened in the world is that with so many more words and so many more opinions, it's not like we've become more receptive to good ideas through it. Everybody just has half a millionth of a second of our, of our time. And so words have actually become less meaningful to us. Sermons are actually somewhat times less meaningful because 
Well, there's a, you can listen to 100 sermons in a week. Newspaper articles are less meaningful. Events, even in world history, get about 10 minutes. A big one, 10 days. But most of us can't remember what happened in June last year. So all of life is like just less meaningful because the pace of information is so much more intense, which can lead you to just want to yell, right? What do people do when they're not feeling heard? (laughs) They raise the volume. Ah, we're not feeling heard. We need to break something. Amen? Isn't that what happens in your home? People aren't listening to me. I need to yell. And so when I look at this and I, and I see this through the eyes of the spiritual realm, what I see is we actually don't necessarily need more posts. So posts are good or necessarily more messages. Though messages are good. We need words that count in people's lives. And the thing that makes real, true words count in people's lives and hearts is actually the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would take words and break through and say, this counts for you. That's what matters, is the Holy Spirit making words count. So that's why I think the prayer of conviction, that the Holy Spirit would do his mission to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment is what really counts Second reason why I think that this is such a helpful thing is that different cultures in the world run in different ways. Cultures in the East tend to run on shame, and so saving face is how they work. And so, you know, we can, we can see them as being dishonest, but they just run by you don't ever publicize anything that's wrong that's happened, and you don't expose other people when something wrong has happened because they have a shame culture. You're concerned about shame. You're concerned about saving face. In our culture in the West, we run by um, like a righteousness. And so we actually relate to each other more by, instead of like trying to hide and protect honor, we relate to each other by accusation. Never noticed that. Like everything's just about accusation and, and, and being successful online is like zinging people and having the best memes. And, and I love memes, but like, it's all, we just run by accusation. Our politics runs by accusation. We don't care if people are good or not, but we care if they've really stuck it to the other guy. And we don't even care if, if one person's a- accusing somebody of something else, if they keep their own standards. Or if even I keep that standard. Do you know what I mean? Like if you just run through all the headlines in a week, Does anybody care if they're doing the things that they're trashing or accusing or exposing of other things? It's this weird thing. It's part of our like journalistic culture is that journalists never go reporting on so-and-so doing horrible things. I do it too. You know, they, there's no compulsion even in journalism to, to own whether or not you're just as bad as the person you're reporting on. So this world that we live in, it runs by accusation and it's actually very demonic Because the kingdom of darkness runs by accusation. What does Satan want to do with you? Just destroy you by accusation. Get you before the throne and tell God about every bad thing you've ever done to try to destroy you, to try to provoke God to be the one who executes judgment on you. And so this culture of accusation where it's just like, accuse, 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 and the increase of like rhetoric about everybody's a Nazi, accuse, 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 it's actually rooted in very strong demonic powers that want to see the world accusing unto death every single person, because that's what Satan wants to do. 
He wants to get as many guilty people in the world as possible to be destroyed. What's the Holy Spirit's mission? The Holy Spirit's mission is to be the one who convinces us that there is a problem so that we'll turn to Christ and be saved from just accusations. It's a completely opposite mission to what we're exposed to most of the time. The mission isn't to get you so that we can get you. The mission is for the Holy Spirit to come and say, yeah, you know what, Rob, you do have a problem, but I have a solution for you. Rob, you know, you do have a real problem that if you don't address, it will destroy you. But I know someone who can save you. His name is Jesus. He really loves you. He's done everything that you'll ever need to bring you home. He can change your heart. And before you're changed, he will still love you. And he will declare you righteous in the sight of God, not because you've changed. So that so that instead you can change. Because he's already died for your sins and he's absorbed all the accusations that Satan can ever throw against you. He absorbed it on the cross by going even under the accusation of God so that though he's completely innocent, God judged him like he was a guilty Egyptian. He, He struck Jesus with the darkness of the ninth plague and then executed his firstborn with the judgment of the tenth plague. And he poured out all of his wrath on Jesus and Jesus absorbed the accusation of man. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're the son of God, save yourself. No, you're a liar and you're guilty and you're a sham. All the accusation of man and all the wrath of God absorbed onto Jesus, unto death. And then Jesus passed through judgment and passed through accusation and passed through these things into eternal life and came back in his supernatural, all-powerful body and he kept the scars and proved himself alive to his apostles and then went back up to heaven and said, even though they've seen me, people will not believe until they, unless I do something. So Holy Spirit, I want you to go down and perform the miracle of conviction in their hearts so that when fishermen tell them that someone's come back from the dead to save them from their sin, they'll both believe they have sins that need saving from and that a Jewish carpenter from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is the answer go holy spirit and that's what we're praying for when we're praying for from conviction we're praying that god will open up people's minds and eyes so that they'll see what's really going on and that's even the third reason is that we need to take seriously this thing called spiritual blindness have you ever like seen a situation and said how can people be so dumb of course you have. <laughs> this is what we do. We, we see all kinds of stuff and we go, how can people be so stupid? How can people be so dumb? Here's the answer. This is that the Apostle Paul, remember one of the world's greatest evangelists, saw the resurrected Jesus came back down from heaven to personally strike him blind so that he would be convinced that he was not serving God by arresting Christians and and miraculously restored his sight and told him he was going to go and suffer for the Gentiles. And the the Apostle Paul, taken to heaven to receive his gospel, saw things in heaven that he was not even permitted to talk about on the earth. It was so holy. And here he is explaining how he understands transformation happens and what is being overcome by spiritual transformation in second corinthians 4 he says this starting in verse 3 and even if our gospel is veiled so he's preaching and people aren't responding even if it it is veiled it is veiled only to those who are perishing in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, sorry, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, when we go out and we preach the truth of God, it is a light. That Jesus Christ came, he is the true image of God, the creator God came in the flesh to die and rise again, and now there's this free grace being given to everyone who believes. And this proclamation is true, and everybody ought to believe. But when they don't, there is actually a spiritual blindness going on. There is a veil before their eyes that the God of this world keeps them from seeing the truth that is shining before their very eyes. And so when people do see, it's because the same God that spoke into the darkness at the creation of the world when there was no light and said, let there be light, has supernaturally caused them to see what is actually there so that instead of hearing the message and going, stupid, dumb Christians, they think, oh my God, this is the glory of Jesus. This is such a wonderful message. And it wasn't blasphemy to say, oh my God, there, because they're being converted to the true God. Goodness gracious me, Jesus Christ is the glory of God shining before my eyes. And this is a supernatural act where God has broken through hard hearts and broken through the power of sin and and removed the veil of Satan over people's eyes. And this is what we're praying for. We're praying that God would do everything necessary to bring conviction so that people would realize there's something wrong and I need a savior. And that the Holy Spirit would come and open blind eyes that cannot be opened by mere human talking or by zingers or by going online to condemn things we don't like. It can't do it alone. Jesus has to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit because it's a supernatural rebirth. And so we need that. We need the Holy Spirit to make alive people. Because we can't do it. So for me, this is part of like just where I'm, I'm growing and coming to spiritually is I'm, 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 I think wonderfully losing my hope in mere human effort to do any good in this world. And increasing my hope that the Holy Spirit can supernaturally do the impossible in people's hearts. Which is a wonderful, hopeful thing. Because the Holy Spirit responds to prayer. And he obviously is not stingy with salvation. There was a time when there was, what, 120 believers? And there's what, like, somewhere between 1 and 2 billion people naming the name of Jesus? And we can look at the world and be like, oh, it's all going to pot. And it's like, no, see what happened. We were, we were like an almost COVID small enough group <laughs> at the start. And that includes a bunch of losers who totally abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. And now this is the biggest thing. We're not losing. Because it depends on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction onto dead hearts and bring rebirth. And he's generous in doing it. This is where I think me, I need to, to just keep growing. He's generous in his conviction. He wants people to come and see the truth. And so we ask, we ask for it, so that it's not just about people fighting.
And I think this can even really help us because I don't know if we, we pity the blind enough. And I don't mean physically. Like, what could be worse than being spiritually blind, guys? To live in a world that you can't see what's right in front of you. Even though God is right there every day, everything, everything praises the glory of God. Every single thing that the human eyes see shouts at you, God is amazing and we can't see it. What could be worse than being so blind? What could be worse than thinking you're so right in what you do and you're blind? Now you, Jesus said there's, to his disciples, there's going to be a time when people think they're offering sacrifice to God by killing you. That they're killing the apostles of Christ thinking they're pleasing God. What could be more hellish on earth than being that blind? And so we, they, they have a right to our pity. Oh God, they're so blind. Do something. And they're me. Like one of the great things about being saved at 18 is I totally remember being so blind. I totally am hard-hearted. They deserve so much more just pity than I give them. They just, like Jesus was on the cross in his agonies, praying, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. How humbling is that? I can't even pass a kidney stone without wanting to punch somebody. You know what I mean? It's amazing. He's so good. And I think sometimes we can shrink back from wanting to pray for conviction because we don't actually want people to have like hurt feelings and sore hearts. Is this anybody? You don't actually want to be praying something painful onto somebody and conviction is painful. But it's good. A book that I, I'm into every once in a while and I'm afraid to open up because it's so convicting is Amy Carmichael's If. It's just a series of short poems about Calvary love, about the love that Christ showed for us on Calvary. And one of these ones, it says this. Excuse me. If I cannot bear to be like the Father who did not soften the rigors of the far country, if in this sense I refuse to allow the law of God to take effect because of the distress it causes me to see that law in operation, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And what she's saying there, she's, she's riffing off of the story of the prodigal son where the father let the son go into the far country and let him spend his inheritance on wine and women and let him hunger and let him become pathetic and let him just let the, the consequences of sin break him. So that he would eventually come to his senses and come home. And I just think there's, there's something about us where I think all of us could learn a deeper love for people where we would ask that Christ would afflict people that they might be saved in love and not revenge, but in love where we would often want to comfort people and they maybe not get saved. We need Christ's wisdom there, but you start with, uh, Getting rid of your own bitterness. Why would you ever want to pray for conviction for the church? I've been mostly talking about the world and my desire for for Jesus to be doing things that would soften people, uh, soften up people who often do not even want to hear the gospel, let alone respond to it, but open their eyes and their hearts. 
to see the glory of God in the gospel. But the church needs conviction as well. It's a slightly different kind. It's the good kind, maybe, you would call that. But this is what the Apostle Paul talks about this church in Thessalonica. It's one of the first churches he plants. This is probably the first letter he wrote. And he's so pumped because he got chased out of town and the church went through some hard times, but they're holding fast to the message. They're not, they're not uh, betraying Christ in their theology or in their behavior. And he says this. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 1, starting verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then he goes on and he says a little bit later, he says in verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had amongst you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And this is what I want to say about Christians loving conviction and this full conviction that's talked about here, This, this, this feeling like, Man, I'm living just pierced by the truth of God. Even though it's not easy, I'm, get, I'm, I'm pierced by the, the truth. I can't ignore the truth of, of the gospel. Living this way is... Oh, I just totally lost my train of thought. I'm going to assume that this is for my good. What is he talking about here? He's talking about, he says, he's saying, I know that God chose you because we preached you this message about, which is on, in human terms, just crazy. Believe in this J- Jewish guy, Jesus raised from the dead. You'll be adopted by God and you'll, when he returns, you'll live forever. There's a lot of stuff in there to be skeptical about. But he's, he's just rejoicing because they're so holding fast to that truth, even when their friends and family are rejecting them because of it and attacking them because of it. He's just like, man, God loves you because you're so convinced. Uh, we know that you've been chosen by God because you're so convinced. And we can see when we were preaching to you, the Holy Spirit was there and you're so convinced. And <clears throat> have you ever noticed? I think I've just found what I was going to say. Thank you, Lord. Have you ever noticed that today you know truths about God that you maybe didn't know or didn't know as well a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Anybody? You guys are here, so you need to help me out. Okay, at least one person. This is a common feeling. But but do you ever think about that? I've been waking up lately going... Oh, Jesus, what do I not know now that I'm going to know in a year? I would rather know it today. <laughs> I'm impatient for that conviction of your truth. Because I'm thinking about this stuff, and I'm just going, Lord, if I you know, met myself 15 years ago when we first had our first child, I probably would have been like, you're going to be a dad? You know what I mean? Because of all the things about Jesus that I didn't know as truly or as deeply or with that same conviction that I'm going to know now. And I've just, it's just stirring up this desperation. Like I, can you speed up the process, Jesus? Because even though it usually costs suffering to learn it, it's so much better to know you with conviction than to know you lightly and to, for things to be shallow. Don't you feel the same way, Christian? 
Haven't you learned lessons about Christ going through suffering, going through loss, going through disappointment that have just made Jesus so much more precious to you? And you'd be like, I don't want to go through that again, but it's so good to know the closeness of God. Well, yeah, that's the Christian life. It is so good to know God that it is worth being in Thessalonica where your friends don't like you anymore and your family thinks you're crazy and all of a sudden somebody showed up and informed you that you don't own that business anymore and you have more of the Holy Spirit and a deeper conviction and more joy in the midst of affliction because Jesus is better than this life. And deep conviction of the truth of God is one of the greatest treasures that a Christian can have in this life. That all of our real fruitfulness and all of our usefulness in the church really springs out of to just to be so liberated from shallow conviction isn't it terrible to be shallow in the church i i think so and i'm not i'm just thinking about me like where i've said things i didn't mean and we talk about that mental ascent that isn't in our heart yet that's such a tragedy and i'm not condemning anybody but I would like to say, isn't it worth it to be like, God, like, drive it deeper, faster. Because it's so good for the truth to be natural and second nature, not something I'm trying to convince myself of. I, I was thinking, well, this is kind of lame, but everybody likes hearing about her cat. So Frodo, a.k.a. Scratchy Cat, spends a lot of time in our garage. And Someone's going to be mad at me for sharing this. I think he eats the drywall. I don't know if he just scratches it, but there's like no mess. So he's either a very tidy drywall destroyer who kind of is like, oh, it's kind of messy, and puts it somewhere, or he likes it. I don't even know what's going on. But he's doing that to a railing, and so I was putting some leftover wood, and I was just drilling it on top of the drywall top because it wasn't finished. It was just loose drywall that he was like destroying and eating. So I was screwing screws into this thing. And I was just like, there were sometimes you put a screw in there and it would just scream while you're driving. It'd be like, as the screw was going into the wood and through the drywall and into the, I can see by your faces, you want me to do that again, into the second piece of wood. It's just like the screws going in there. And then, you know, sometimes the bit would skip. Then I've got like hyper subwoofer bass going on here. It's like, whoa, Rob's listening to his like Rammstein again or whatever i don't even know but i just drilling that screw in there it screams and i just i felt like that was such a great picture of growing in your convictions in christ sometimes when god is putting a truth in you that is not going to come out you scream and it's noisy and there's heat and friction going on but man you are just so much immovably strongly connected, stronger connected to the Lord after this new conviction than you were before. There's no cat getting under the drywall on that thing, but the screw had to go in with a lot of noise. Amen? And sometimes that happens, and I'm just so convinced it's worth asking the Lord to do that regularly. Because we can all look back and say, my life was not better when I hadn't gone through these hard trials. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. The band can come their way forward, but why don't we just give ourselves to the Lord? I'm going to pray for us as a church. You know, um, Jesus said, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And so I don't think you should pray for conviction for the world until you've prayed it for yourself. shouldn't want the world to go through anything that you aren't happy to go through. 
And so as you're willing and able, I'm going to pray for us to have that awesome, weighty, full conviction of the truth of Jesus to come deeper into our lives for our joy and power. And then as you're willing, let's pray that God would open up the eyes of a world that's, that increasingly seems to be going more and more off the rails, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth in Jesus and so be saved. So, Father, here we are, your people. Father, you love us so much, and you desire such profound freedom for us in the Holy Spirit in Christ. And so much of that freedom just overflows when we are deeply, profoundly convinced of the truth of the gospel, that we are forgiven by you, that we are righteous in your sight, that we are loved and chosen children of God, that Jesus Christ will return to reward us, that there's nothing that we can lose in this life that we won't be given back either in this life or in eternity. God, would you drive these truths into our hearts so deeply because you love us and you love freedom and you love the truth and because it will inspire our worship more deeply, which you deserve, and it will make our our relationships more holy and joyful and make us more fruitful in this world. And Father, as you beautify your bride in these ways, the bride that you have given to your son, we pray with mercy and pity that you would send your conviction over Canada and the U.S. and the world, Lord, many places which are super hostile to the church. Would you open blind eyes to see what's going on in their hearts? Would you open blind eyes to see the spiritual conflict and the side that people have chosen to be on? God, would you so invade, Lord, whether it's through the reading of the gospel or words that people say or just a moment of showing people when they're sinning. Lord, would you make this rescue of Jesus known and desirable to the world? Lord, I pray you'd convict Canada, Lord, just by mercy, Lord. I'm so hard-hearted to my country. God, in mercy, there's so many Canadians, they don't know what they're doing. It's how terrible it is to be blind in this life to God. So, Lord, whatever you need to do to bring the next great wave of salvation, this is my prayer Lord, if it's not your plan, you're God. But my prayer is that you would bring the next great wave of salvation. And let us be in step with your spirit to participate with it. In Jesus' name, amen.